This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa azwajihi wa man wala wa ba'ahu فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله خير الحدي حدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار أيها الأخوة الكرام وأخوات السيدات السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته My dear brothers and sisters in Islam This is your brother Sheikh Khalid Yassin speaking to you from my uh, Facebook live platform uh, This is another episode of Sky Views and the sky views are my views. Uh, make no mistake about it. I take full responsibility for what I have to say on this platform. Um, <clears throat> we have created this platform so that uh, I would be able to uh, make statements and uh, answer questions and address issues uh, that may not be commonly addressed. Today, uh, I wanna answer a few questions. Uh, and I just want to answer those questions in the best way that I can. Uh, I'll, I'll try to be uh, as brief and direct as possible. Uh, the first question uh, that I was asked is, uh, Sheikh, why are you, uh, why did you choose uh, the theme uh, Islam in the 21st century? Uh, that's a very valid question. Uh, I've been discussing this theme uh, about the last three years, maybe four years, uh, and I've tried to uh, talk about all the relevant things that are connected to this particular theme. I chose this theme because I found out that it was very common, it was very commonplace uh, that uh, Muslim teachers, Muslim lecturers, uh, Muslim scholars, and Muslims in general, uh, they tend to be discussing quote-unquote, religious issues. And these religious, religious issues, of course they are important because they, they find their basis in our system of faith. However, uh, it is necessary that we Muslims living in the 21st century, that we make our religion relevant, live, connected to what is going on on a day-to-day -day basis. And the world is not just operating on the principles of religion. Hello, in case you didn't know that. The world is not operating. The world that we are a part of, regardless of what society you're living in, what geography that you share, the world, your society, your country, the planet, is not operating exclusively on a religious principle. Therefore, we people who are part of society and understand that we have an obligation and a responsibility to neighbors, colleagues, co-workers, uh, fellow countrymen and women. Uh, we have a constitutional responsibility. We have a general social responsibility. We have a responsibility within our family. Uh, we have a general responsibility in the neighborhood that we live in. We have a responsibility and a connection with other people and issues that don't happen to be religious issues. 
For instance, uh, we have to discuss issues like hunger. You know, hunger in the world. Today, one million people in the world, that is one-fifth of the world's population, live off of less than one dollar. Less than one dollar. Now, that's a real fact. And for us Muslims, you know, who have been told in the Qur'an uh, and uh, given the illustration by the Prophet ﷺ in terms of how we should regard others who have less than we do, and that means people who don't have water. They don't have access to clean water. People that don't have access to food. People that don't have access to housing, medicine, education. Uh, people who themselves are under some kind of social oppression where they are actually suffering. We have a relationship with those people and we have to make our Islamic practice, our Islamic observation relevant, even to those one billion people because the world now is a global village. And we have to make sure that we make room in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives for people who are living in various situations around the world. Therefore, I chose to do research. Uh, this research started maybe about 10 years ago. And this research included um, about 30 or more topics which were deemed to be critical issues facing humanity. Now some of those critical issues facing humanity are also critical issues facing Islam and Muslims. Or I'd rather say critical issues facing Muslims. There are no critical issues facing Islam. So this deen belongs to Allah. And there are no critical issues facing Islam as a deen. But there are critical issues facing Muslims and non-Muslims in the world. So I began writing, uh, doing essays, you might want to call it, or research papers, or you might call them white papers. I started uh, developing these white papers about 10 years ago, you know, around 2009. And by the 2015, uh, I had written for myself at least 30 different white papers outlining, uh, discussing, uh, the some critical issues facing humanity, and uh, uh, and and I'm, I'm talking about critical issues facing humanity now, not the critical issues that was facing humanity hundred years ago, or five hundred years ago, or a thousand years ago. No, though, that, that's history. That's a part of our reality. That's a, that's history. But this is now. That was then, and we have to discuss. We have to have a discussion. You know, we have to reflect, we have to think about, we have to ponder, we have to look into, we have to figure it out. What's going on in the world today? What's affecting other human beings? What is impacting the lives of other human beings? And that's what I did. And once I finished those uh, papers, uh, to be very honest with you brothers and sisters, uh, I think that uh, that was sort of like a, um, I don't know, a bulb went off in my head. You know, something clicked in my life. 
uh, something uh, changed inside of me because now I could no longer deny, you know, I could no longer just like put to the side uh, issues that we see as headlines just as print. No, I couldn't do that any longer. Each time I saw an issue taking place anywhere in the world, saw or heard or witnessed or read an issue, it was one of those issues that impacted those critical issues facing humanity. Not just the critical issues facing Muslims, but critical issues facing humanity. And that's when I decided that we Muslims have to live our lives and discuss our Islam with others and live our Islamic practice and reality within the context of the world and its issues and its people, within the context of the constitution of the country that we live in, within the context of the neighborhood that we live in, within the context and in relationship to the people that we come across every single day. Colleagues, co-workers, neighbors, friends. This is why I chose to discuss Islam in the 21st century because it is necessary. Uh, it is vital. It is wajib upon us Muslims that when we think about Islam, we don't think about Islam as a nostalgia, a thing in the past. We think about Islam as a reality in the present where we live. And that's why I chose to discuss Islam in the 21st century. And by the way, there's not a topic that comes up in any conversation that I witness. I've never come up, I've never had a conversation with anyone anywhere in the world of any background where I could not somehow relate the principles of Islam to that conversation. That's because I imposed it upon myself to look at the world from my perspective, but not look at the world just the way other people look at the world. View the world as it is, but live in the world according to the perspectives that I have committed myself to, the rules and the principles that I have committed myself to, and that is the system of Islam. So that's my answer to question number one. Uh, why have I been discussing the topic Islam in the 21st century? Uh, the next question is, um, uh, Sheikh, do you have a special message for young Muslims? I most certainly do. Uh, and brothers and sisters, you know, in my heart, I'm 73. However, in my heart, I'm still young. And because I'm young, I still have the feelings and the sensitivities of the young people. I have never forgotten my own youth. And I always go back to thinking about my children, uh, their dilemmas, um, what I missed, you know, my faults, my shortcomings, what I owe, uh, my debts to them, my obligations, what am I, what am I gonna leave them? Uh, I, I think about that every day and their children. So those are two generations behind me that's coming behind me. 
Those are the same generations that exist all over the world. These are the younger generations, whether they be in their 50s today, or whether they are in their 20s today, or whether they are just in their adolescent. These are the generations we have to think about every single day. The Quran dedicates itself to discussions about young people, stories about young people, lessons about young people. And so for me, uh, when someone asks me, do I have a special message for young Muslims? I most certainly do. Number one, uh, young Muslims, don't forget the, don't forget the ABCs of Islam. You know, Islam 101. And uh, Islam 101, of course, it begins with Buni al-Islam ala khamsin. You know, uh, the, the, the shahadati an la ilaha illallah. You know, bearing witness that there is none to be worshipped except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that Muhammad sallallahu is his messenger and his prophet. Yes, it begins with that. Keep that always in mind that your shahada is the most sacred possession or tool that you have to identify and distinguish yourself by. Number two, understand that the principles of Islam, the prayer, the fasting, the zakah, and the hajj, uh, these are all tools in our toolkit, so to speak. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't make it obligatory upon us to pray, or to fast, or to pay zakah, or to make hajj, uh, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala needs us to do that. No, he made this incumbent upon us, obligatory upon us, because we need to do that. There's a need within the human psyche. There's a, there's a need uh, within the development of the human behavior. Uh, there is a need for the development of the human um, uh, etiquette. These things, prayer, fasting, zakah and hajj, these issues or these principles or these practices uh, that Almighty God imposed upon us, we Muslims, we need that. That's part of Islam 101. You're not doing it because your mother and father said do it, although they told you to do it before you understood that you needed to do it. You're not doing it for that reason. You're doing it because you need to do it. It's just like eating. You're not eating just because you're hungry. You're eating because hunger is a natural response, is a natural mechanism, is a natural drive inside of the human being to encourage them to eat. See, hunger is a natural drive. That's a natural instinct. Hunger is something that comes about naturally. You know, when you become hungry, uh, you think about eating. The body is, has a desire for something. Thirst is natural. You think about and you have a feel uh, to drink something. That's a natural impulse. We need to develop within ourselves, within our psyche, the natural impulse to worship. Prayer is a worship. Fasting is a denial, but fasting is also a discipline. Zakah is a principle that teaches us to take a portion of what God has given to us, the legal things that God has given to us in surplus and share it with others. Performing the Hajj is making a journey, making a sacrifice, in this case to Mecca, 
to perform the Hajj once in your life if you are able to do that. That teaches you preparation, sacrifice, discipline, and also when you arrive there, how to interact with other people and how to, in spite of the fact that you are with a million other people or two or three million other people, to keep your focus on what you need to do for yourself based upon the commitment that you have made. See? So this is the one-on-one of Islam. But also, another part of the one-on-one of Islam which has nothing to do with the five pillars is behavior. Character. Developing your character. Polishing your behavior. Developing yourself as a human being so that other human beings have regard and respect for you. Distinguishing yourself as a human, uh, distinguishing yourself among other human beings so that other human beings would understand that when you shine, it's because of Islam. When you succeed and prosper, it's because of Islam. When you are able to be, when you rise to the position of leadership, it is because of the badge of Islam. This is what I want to say to young people. Don't forget your Islam one-on-one. Islam is a gift that's given to you, whether it was passed on to you by your parents or whether it was given to you because you embraced Islam. That's my message to you. Now, along with that, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned to us in the Quran, and I'm just going to translate, uh, give a general translation to that. Allah says, uh, and seek ye the, the way towards the Darul Akhirah, the home of the Akhirah, that means paradise. Seek ye, that means diligently seek the way towards the Akhirah. The Akhirah means paradise. Seek ye a way towards paradise. However, do not forget your share inside this dunya. Now what share? Share could be benefit and share could be responsibility. So, you know, be all the Muslim that you can be. Worship as much as you can. Remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as often as you can. Send salawat upon the Prophet as often as you can. Uh, do all the things. Read Quran. Learn the Islamic disciplines. Uh, compete to be the best Muslim that you can be. But don't forget your responsibility inside of the dunya. What's your responsibility? Your responsibility inside of the dunya is that you should be the best human being that you could be. Each one of us have a set of social responsibilities. Some of them are direct and some of them are indirect. Those direct and indirect responsibilities is our share of this dunya. Uh, the, the benefit that we seek for ourselves, for our families, the benefit that we seek this is part of our share of the dunya. Don't forget that. Now, not forgetting that means prepare yourself for that. How do you prepare yourself to get benefit? And how do you prepare yourself to be responsible? You prepare yourself by engaging in the disciplines that give you certain skills, knowledge, 
capabilities. So, brothers and sisters, young Muslims, if you're in school, stay in school and finish school. Don't let somebody talk you out of finishing school. Don't let somebody talk you into going somewhere to study something, you know, and just leave school and go somewhere and study. No, that's bad advice. Finish school, then go somewhere and study. Religion, that is. Finish your school. You know, if you're in high school, finish it and go to college. Or go to a trade school. If you're in college, finish it and earn your degree and determine whether or not you want to go to a, a graduate degree or a postgraduate degree, but finish. If that's what you're doing, finish it. Why? Because the world needs doctors, engineers, professionals. The world needs attorneys. The world needs technicians, mathematicians, people that can build bridges and people that can build societies and, and people, that can, um, uh, people that can fly airplanes and build airplanes and uh, people that invent. We need that. We Muslims need that. We should not be consumers of somebody else's technology. No. We ourselves should be the owners, the purveyors. You know, we should be the ones developing and offering that to the rest of the world. So if you're in school, stay in school. And if you're in a country that offers you education, you are blessed. You are endowed. And don't let somebody talk you out of something that you have been blessed and endowed with. Thirdly, be a part of the society where you are. Don't be a recluse. You know, that means don't dodge out of the way of responsibility trying to be religious. No, no. Religion is here. Religion is here. Religion is here. Religion is not on the tongue. Religion is not just something that you do with your body. Religion is not just denying yourself of food and drink. Religion is just, just not reciting some type of words. You know, religion is not just looking a certain kind of way. You know, religion is not inside of a building like a mosque or a school. No, religion is everywhere. It's how you are, who you are, what you do, wherever you are. That's the kind of Muslim you want to be. If you're in the Western world, you are blessed and challenged. Yes. Yeah, definitely we are challenged. Some of the most educated people are some of the most immoral people. Some of the most educated and sophisticated and intellectual people are also the most immoral and pathetic and, and, um, and devious, cruel, evil people. But that doesn't mean just because many of the developed and educated people are cruel and wicked and evil and uh, immoral, it doesn't mean that the society itself is immoral. Doesn't mean that. Don't anybody talk you into that. No. Freedom is a prize. Freedom is a privilege. And when you have been given the freedom to speak, the freedom to write, move about, express your ideas, you have the freedom to vote, you know, to select and elect someone whom you believe should represent you. 
You have the right to do that. You have the, you have the privilege to do that, the constitutional privilege to do that in the Western world. Take advantage of that. Be a part of the society. Doesn't mean be a part of everything and be with everyone and do what everyone is doing. Doesn't mean that. It means be part of the society to take the benefit that you can and be a part of the society so that you can adopt your responsibility and be a part of the society so that you have the opportunity to change the direction of that society. You got to be in it to win it. That's a true statement although that statement was co-opted for some immoral purposes. So, young people, listen. Be the best Muslim that you can be. But guess what? To be the best Muslim you can be, you don't need to look like somebody in another country. That's not true. The uniform of Islam is taqwa. There's a little bit of difference in terms of the outer uniform for men and women, and that's only because of their anatomy. And every Muslim basically understands the distinctions of dress when it comes to men and women. Most Muslims understand that. But it doesn't mean that we have to adopt the dress of somebody in another country in order for us to have an Islamic identity. That's not true. And whoever tells you that, they just leading you somewhere that they want to be. They want to make them they want to make themselves comfortable by you acquiescing to what they are doing. You don't have to do that. Wear what you want to wear. Whatever you think complements yourself as a person, whatever you think helps you distinguish yourself as a Muslim, do that. Wear that. But there's no one size fits all, and there's no one particular dress that every Muslim got to look like, you know, whether from Africa or Asia or from Arabia or from India or anywhere else in the world. It's not true. You live in the Western world? Well, you need to know what is the common urf, what is the common dress of your country. What is the common dress of your country? It's not the bikini, and it may not be the burqa either. You need to use your intelligence to see, look around yourself, and see what the common people determine to be decent, appropriate for the time and the place and the profession and the career that you might be doing. People that work in the hospitals, they have a special dress. Policemen, firemen, they have a special dress. People that work in a bank, they have a special dress. You know, there's a, there's a time and a place and a particular uniform and a dress for everyone. And we Muslims do not have to adopt the dress of another group of Muslims in another country based on the claim that this is the way the Prophet used to dress. Well, we need to be very careful and very clear about that. The Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he was our example. لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسْنَةٌ لِمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُ اللَّهُ يَوْمُ الْآخِرِ وَذَّكَرَ اللَّهُ كَثِيرًا That is true. There is in the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam the best example for anyone, anywhere for those who believe in Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala in the last day. That is true. But it doesn't mean that we have to dress like Arabs because the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was an Arab. That's not true.
If someone decides that I like the dress of the Prophet in spite of the fact that it's an out of dress, nothing wrong with that. Whether you wear something on your head or you wear a particular garment, nothing's wrong with that. However, you need to find out whether what you're wearing is appropriate with the career or the time or the place or the profession that you are engaged in or the people that you are working with so that you're not too rigid. You gotta be open-minded, you gotta be open-hearted, you gotta be open-handed because this is what is required in dealing with other human beings and tolerating other human beings. So dear young Muslims, be the best Muslim that you can be. Enjoy yourselves. But understand your share, your distinction in the society where you are and be the best and learn to compete. Why? Because the word compete is a part of the word competency. You know, competency. Something that we should all want to be. We should all want to be competent in language, competent in math, competent uh, uh, in, in other social skills. We want to be competent among other human beings because when you are competent, you are able to compete. And make no mistake about it. This world is about competition. You don't have to want to compete. You must compete. Fastabikul khairat. Swim. Race. Swim. Strive as if you are in a race. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has uh, encouraged us to do. So dear young Muslims, don't be frustrated. Don't get spaced out. Don't get zoned out. You know, don't Focus yourself upon things that in the long run you find that they are meaningless. Think about the meaningful things. You know, don't spend a lot of time hugging your phone. Because when the phone drops and breaks, maybe you feel like a part of you has dropped and broken. When you don't have access to your phone, maybe you feel a, a big void in your life. Why? Because you didn't realize that was just a piece of technology that some people put together. It was not a part of your life. Learn to take your phone and put it down. Take your phone and put it away. Put it out of sight. Use it for what it is. It is a tool. But don't let it be a tool for fools. Don't become addicted to what's in the phone or don't become addicted to the phone. It's only a tool. And use everything. Use all the technology that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to us today. Make reference to all the teachers, all the teachers, including Sheikh Google and his family. You know, Sheikh Twitter and Sheikh Instagram and Sheikh Snapchat and, you know, uh, uh, Sheikh WhatsApp and, you know, all those different, the whole family of Sheikh Google. Use them. But realize they're just tools. But when you become absorbed in technology, so the technology rides you and uses and manipulates you. Instead of you utilizing the technology and taking advantage of the technology and controlling the technology. Get a job. 
And I don't mean that you have to go to somebody and become employed. That's not what I mean by get a job. Get a job means have something to do every single day. Get a life plan. Because if you can't get a life plan, it's very hard for you to get a life. Who wants a phone without a GPS? Who wants to get in a car without a GPS? Who wants to get on a plane without a GPS? Today, GPS, you know, a um, global positioning system, that's what it stands for, is a necessity. Everybody wants that to be a part of any vehicle or anything that they're going to, any technology that they're going to buy or use. So where's your GPS? Your life plan is your GPS. Do you have a life plan? Ask yourself that question and be honest with yourself. No, your education is not your life plan. It's something on the path of your life plan. It's something you gained on the way to the implementation or the fulfilling the objective of your life plan. Do you have a life plan? Did you sit down? Did you take the time to think about your life and to write out for yourself you know, where you want to be and what you want to accomplish in the next five or 10 years. Did you do that? And when you researched it and wrote it out, I mean, and organized it, whether it took a day or two days or whether it took a week or whatever it was, did you write it? Yeah, did you write it? Not did you talk about it, did you write it? Did you document it? And after you wrote it and documented it or typed it or whatever you did or texted it out, did you spell check it? Did you double space it? The same way you would do an essay in school. You know, it's like English 101 when we were in the eighth or ninth grade. And then after you did that, share it with somebody that you really respect. Your father, your mother, your uncle, your aunt, your, your homeboy, your homegirl, your, your professor in the university or some, a mentor that you have or some person that you really respect, share it with them. Let them read what you have written as your life plan. And then after that, take it back and memorize it. That's your life plan. Do you have one? It's yes or no. There's no like maybe, you know, it's not like almost, you know, water doesn't become almost wet. It is, or, or, or either there's no water or there is water and women do not almost get pregnant. So you don't almost have a life plan. You have one or you do not have one. I say, if you don't have one, be honest with yourself. Don't be in denial. By the way, that's not a river in Egypt. Don't be in denial. Don't lie to yourself. Don't fool yourself and say, I have a life plan, almost. No, you either have one by definition or you do not. If you don't, start today and do one. I don't mind telling you that I was 56 years old when I completed a life plan. SubhanAllah, 56. So it's not like, you know, I had a life plan 40 years ago and I'm kind of like telling you about it now. No, 56, I was 56 years old. That means like 18 years ago, something like that. 
18 years ago, I sat on a plane with an Amish young man who was a life coach. And because we were flying from uh, Kenya to New York, it was a long flight. I had a chance to have a long conversation with him. And he was a life coach. In that conversation, this young Amish young man said to me, uh, Sheik or Sheikh, I think you need a life plan. I think that you need one because when I defined what it was, you don't have it. I could have been arrogant. I could have been in denial. I could have said that, what does he know? No, to be very honest with you, I thank Almighty God. I thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that when I got off of that plane, six months later, I had my life plan. And I have been encouraging people to do a life plan ever since. So young people, young Muslims, if you don't have a life plan, you need to get one. And older Muslims, if you don't have a life plan by definition, I don't care how old you are, how sophisticated you are, how educated you are, how intellectual you are, how wealthy and influential that you are. If you don't have a life plan, you don't have one. Those who fail to plan, plan to fail, inevitably. That's the axiom. That's the anecdote, if you want to call it that. So that's my special message for uh, young Muslims. Uh, next. Somebody asked the question, uh, Sheikh, do you have a special message for Muslim reverts? Absolutely. You know, I'm a revert. Uh, in the Islamic uh, Sharia, in the Islamic fiqh, uh, in the Islamic jurisprudence, there's a category called Muslimun Judud. Muslimun Judud is the Arabic terminology which means new Muslims. It also could mean those who are first generation to Islam, or those that are new to Islam. It also means those who have entered Islam from another system of life. Some people may call that conversion, but when we know that Almighty God, Almighty God has made everyone by definition, by, by birth, by disposition. Our original disposition is to be in submission to Almighty God. Our natural disposition as human beings is to be in compliance with what Almighty God has ordained for us. And it is our parents or the environment that we live in, that we are raised in, that select for us to be something other than the natural disposition of being in submission to Almighty God. So we reverts today, we like to call, we, we converts today, we like to call ourselves reverts as opposed to converts. We are reverting back to our natural disposition. We're reverting back to being a Muslim. And so to become a Muslim, to embrace Islam, is to revert back to our natural disposition. So I'm a revert. I'm not a young revert, uh, but I am a new Muslim. Um, obviously, I'm not a young Muslim, but I'm a new Muslim. That is, I was a first-generation Muslim in the United States of America. I became a Muslim in 1965. It seems like eons ago. By the way, uh, that was the same year uh, that our beloved brother, Al-Hajj Malik Shabazz, better known to the world as Malcolm X, uh, Rahmatullah Ali, May Allah have mercy upon his soul. He was assassinated in February of 1965 
And uh, I was fortunate enough uh, to become a Muslim and to embrace Islam in October of the same year, 1965. So my message to reverts, whether you are first generation revert, second generation revert, third generation revert, like my grandchildren, they are third generation Muslims. That is, their grandfather was a revert and their parents, they were second generation reverts. Okay, and uh, the, the, the third generation, my grandchildren, although they were born Muslim by their natural disposition and by the tradition of Islam to their parents, they were born Muslims, they may decide to be something different. So my message for reverts is that we have a special challenge. We have a special disposition. Don't be afraid of the challenges. There were people who came before us who had the same challenge. That is, they were the first Muslims of that age. They were the first Muslims of that country or that era. They were the first Muslim generation and they faced many challenges. We also faced many challenges and we will continue to face many challenges. You know, when we became Muslims, we didn't speak Arabic, and most of us still don't speak Arabic. We couldn't read the Quran, and many of us today still do not read the Quran directly the, from the Mus'haf, from the Quran itself. We didn't know who the Prophet Muhammad wasalam, is. We didn't know who he was. We, didn't, we wasn't familiar with his biography or his life. We weren't taught that in school. We had to learn it. It wasn't easy. We went through a lot of changes. We dressed, we acted, we spoke, we imitated others who taught us. We went to other countries, we stayed for a long time, short time, and we ate the food and lived in those countries and we learned and we adopted the cultural traits and habits and thinking of other people on our way to learning Islam. But now, in our twilight, in our maturity, we don't have to imitate anybody any longer because we are genuine Muslims. We are Muslims who have reverted and embraced Islam from another system. But we are following the Quran and we are following the Sunnah, the, 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 the behavior and the example and the pattern of Muhammad وسلم, and the three generations that came after him. We are doing our best to follow that behavior, that pattern. It's not always easy. To live in a country like America or like Europe or like Australia or like Canada, okay? It's not easy to live in Western societies and practice Islam, it's not easy. It's not easy to have parents who are Christians or Jews or Hindus or Buddhists or whatever uh, persuasion that they are, or atheists, it's not easy to come from a background that is diametrically different than what we have embraced. They will judge you. They will question you. They will be disoriented towards you. They will be disappointed with you. They will be inclined to dislike your choice or 
They will be inclined to separate away from you. They will feel as if you have abandoned them. You will, you will meet many different challenges, but you will overcome them. In time, you will learn to you will learn to um, to value, to embrace, to hold on to, and to commit to the values that you have. You will understand the value of Islam. You will understand the distinction of Islam. And on your own, you will hold on to Islam. You will hold on to it. At the end of the day, Islam is sweet. Islam is powerful. Islam is riveting. You know, Islam is deep. Islam is rewarding. To be a Muslim is to be a very distinguished person. After some time, you will understand. You will get your equilibrium together. You'll, 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 you'll get your social identity together. And when you are with other people who are of different persuasions, you will not feel inferior. You will not feel out of place. Because you'll find out that your heart is in the right place. Your behavior is in the right place. Your mind is in the right place. And that you are prepared in many ways to succeed. You are prepared in many ways to lead. This is a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so as a revert, keep your distinction in mind. Don't think that you have to comply with other people's cultural persuasions. You do not. Learn to tolerate. Learn to share. Learn to appreciate other people's cultural persuasions. And adopt them if you think that they are good. Nothing wrong with that. Whether in food or in dress or in language or in demeanor or whatever the case might be. But don't forget your identity wherever you live at. In the country you live in. Don't forget your identity. Don't forget the distinction that you carry within the society that you live. And don't forget the privileges and the distinctions that Almighty God has given to you if you are living in a country where you have, where you have some of the best privileges of any human beings in the world. Don't forget that. Don't throw that to the side. The deen is mu'amala. It's actions. Put your deen into practice. It's like putting your money where your mouth is. Whatever's in your heart, whatever's inside your mind, practice it in your life. Don't be a tongue Muslim. You know, that is religion on the tongue. You know, don't be a Muslim in dress that is religion on the outside. Don't be a Muslim in ism, a Muslim in name only. Be Muslim. Be real, genuine, down to earth, concrete, honey, is that what you call it? Muslim. Because we reverts, we people that embrace Islam, sometimes those that came to the deen last, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them the capability of being first. As I travel around the Muslim world, I find out that 
Some of the people who have been Muslim for generations and generations, they take it for granted. They take the knowledge for granted. They take uh, the principles for granted. And because of that, many of them, they have become Islamically dysfunctional. We don't want to get into a lot of detail. All you got to do is travel the world and you can see. You know, when you become socially and Islamically dysfunctional, it shows in so many ways in your lifestyle. We Muslims in the West who have embraced Islam, many of the habits, principles, and social disciplines that we gained as we grew up, we find out that we have more tools sometimes than other people have. More tools to function inside of the society. We have different levels of sophistication that, we, that other people take for granted that we have. So, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, if you feel me. You're a Muslim, you're in the West, you're in America, you're in Canada, you're in Australia, you know, you're living in Europe. That's where you embrace Islam. Hold on to all the values that you had before you were a Muslim, because all those values are still valuable for you. Your citizenship, your constitutional privileges, they are all valuable, very valuable, and you'll find out when you travel. Be the best Muslim that you can be and understand that it is a favor from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for you to be a revert. Allah selected you to be Muslim. And he selected you to be Muslim to give you a favor, to give you a distinction, to give you an opportunity and a chance that you could be one of the best human beings in your environment. And don't forget that. Uh, dear brothers and sisters, uh, another uh, question that someone asked me is, uh, do you have a special message for the Muslims living in the USA and Europe? Yes. Uh, to live in the U USA or Europe uh, or to live in Canada or to live in Australia or one of the Western countries in the world, the so-called developed societies, is a favor from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as I mentioned before, of course, it's a challenge. When you come to the Western countries, the so-called sophisticated countries, the developed countries, uh, where people are, are more educated, uh, more intellectual, uh, more endowed with things, uh, and uh, more endowed uh, you know, with um, uh, uh, things that many people take for granted. I mean, water is running everywhere. Food is available everywhere. Everywhere you go, there's electricity that's available. Everywhere you go, there's clothing, different certain levels of clothing. Uh, people have different levels of lifestyles and incomes and all kinds of sophisticated uh, um, uh, items and uh, equipment and toys and all kinds of things that are available to us that we take for granted. Well, one of the major things I would tell you not to take for granted is your constitutional privileges, your constitutional liberties, uh, your citizenship that doesn't come without a price. Yes, it does. When you travel around the world as I have, I've been to some 93 countries, you come to find out that it's uh, very important that you hold on to your passport. You find out how valuable your citizenship really is. You find out that with all the um, with all the faults and 
all the shortcomings and all the downsides, uh, downsizes and uh, all the, um, you may want to call it deficits uh, that exist in my society in America with all the deficits, downsides, uh, uh, challenges, issues uh, that come as, uh, uh, with living in America. And there are many. I thank God. I thank Almighty God to have been born in the United States of America. Now, if you can't say that, that's your problem. It's not mine. You know, if you, if you want to give up your citizenship and you think there's some place that's better than this country to live, you were born in America and you think it's a better place for you to live, good. Go there. Get the money together and go there. But I suggest you get a round-trip ticket. And I don't know anybody that went to another country thinking that it's a better country and gave up their American passport. I don't know anybody. I don't say there's no one who did it, but I don't know anyone who did that. There must be a reason. Because with all the downsides, with all the deficits, with all the issues, with all the challenges that people want to talk about that exist in Europe, that exist in Australia, that exist in the Canada or the United States or any Western country in the world or any developed country in the world, with all the issues that people want to talk about, constitutional privilege is number one. No one has challenged me to be a Muslim. No one has challenged my right to be a Muslim. Alhamdulillah for that. No one has denied me the right to speak my mind. No one has denied me the right to stand, you know, to organize, to, um, um, to gather together with other people to discuss a particular issue, no one has required me that if I want to write a book, if I want to send out a message, that I have to get permission from a, a, a government agency. Can you imagine that? As an American, as a European, as an Australian, as a person living in Canada or any place in the developed world that you would have to get permission, just permission for you to gather with other people to discuss a particular issue. Well, in America we don't need just permission for you to gather with other people to discuss a particular issue. Well, in America we don't have to worry about that. That goes with the constitutional privilege. In America, obtaining a passport and traveling all over the world and coming back to my country is a privilege that goes with American citizenship. And traveling throughout my country, from New York to California, uh, from Texas all the way to Canada, or going to Hawaii or going to Alaska and coming back it's all part of the uh, United States of America, all 50 states. There's no borders, no border checks, no nothing. 
and the United States of America or being Muslim in Europe or Canada or Australia. And we shouldn't forget that because this is a gift that was given to us by Almighty God. Anyone with that business, if I set the business up in New York, I can do business in California. I can do business in, uh, in uh, Anchorage, Alaska. That's a privilege. And it's a privilege that I don't uh, take for granted. There are many privileges that go with uh, being Muslim in the United States of America or being Muslim in Europe or Canada or Australia. And we shouldn't forget that because this is a gift that was given to us by Almighty God. Because you didn't have to be born in that particular country. You could have been born in a place where you didn't have those privileges. And since we do have those privileges, I say, don't adopt the thinking of people who are living in societies that do not have these privileges. A certain thinking comes from living in a society where you are denied those basic privileges. A certain mentality, a certain thinking, a certain mindset comes when you were denied those basic privileges. We were not denied those privileges. We don't have to adopt that defensive thinking, that narrow-minded thinking, that thinking that we have to abide by some kind of uh, principles and policies, you know, that is set in stone because the government said so. No, it's not true. We have to respect the government. We have to comply with national, uh, a statewide, um, fundamental laws and policies. We have to comply, reasonably comply. But in a country that we live in, the government doesn't make any cemented